And we're starting a brand new series for the next four weeks through the book of Colossians. It's a book in the Bible. So we're going to go chapter by chapter through this. And if you want to catch up, you can read just chapter two next week. And, and that'll encourage you a little bit to kind of study before we get into uh, the message. But next week is Mother's Day, everybody. Mother's Day. You don't want to miss it. Uh, we have a lot going on. We have pictures available, like photo booths for you to take family portraits with your, your family. So bring your kids, bring your husband, bring your, your dog. No, don't bring your dog, but <laughs> our dog needs Jesus, by the way. He does. <laughs> Yours too? How many dogs? You know, like your, your, your dogs are just bad. You just have bad dogs. But you still love them, right? They get you. They trick you. I, when I first bought my dog, he was so cute. I went to go buy him and from this lady, and she was, she was like, he's the sweetest dog. And I, I picked him up, and he sank into my arms, and I cried. I literally cried because I was like, my girls are going to love this puppy. He tricked me. <laughs> that dog is evil. He's possessed. But our girls still love him. Colossians chapter 1. Look in your notes or look on the screen today. Chapter 1, verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother. Timothy was a spiritual son to Paul. To God's holy people in Colossae. Everybody say Colossae. The faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. Grace and peace to you from God our Father. Grace is God's, he's giving us his unmerited favor. Like we didn't work for this, he gives it to us freely. Peace is something that you can't find in a bottle. You can't find any place else. Like genuine peace comes from God. Verse 3, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all God's people, not just for some, but for everybody. And he's speaking. Paul was writing. He's kind of like a proud dad. He's writing to his kids, his spiritual sons and daughters, and he's just telling them, man, I'm so proud of you. Verse 5, and then we have the faith. So we have, we have faith, we have love, and the faith, and the love that spring up from the hope. Somebody say hope. hope. The hope that's stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel. It's interesting to me because Paul emphasizes the word hope which might be interesting to you because we live in a lot of um, hopeless surroundings. And maybe you're here today and you feel hopeless. Maybe you feel like you're in depression or despair or emptiness. Maybe you've had suicidal thoughts. Maybe there's been a struggle with alcoholism or drug addiction or failed relationships or even immorality. You need to know that the people of Colossae were hopeless, but they found hope in God. You say, well, what is hope? It's not so much what it is, it's who it is. Like they found this not in a place, but in a person, in Jesus Christ, and their life would be forever changed. And I just want to tell you, if you ever find yourself like wavering in your faith, you need to remember where your hope comes from. Like your hope comes from God. Amen, everybody? Remember, that, that, remember where your final destination is going to be. That'll shoot adrenaline into your veins one more time. Hope comes from God. Verse 6 goes on to say, In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world. 
just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard of it and truly understood God's grace. Let me know it's important to understand the grace that's given. And, and the Bible's not just information, it's transformation. Like it changes us. Someone who becomes a believer in Jesus Christ starts a brand new relationship with him. And you have to be careful because otherwise you think this is just about turning over a new leaf or like trying to do what's right. That's not what this is all about, ladies and gentlemen. I'm telling you that a new believer has a new life, a changed purpose, a new direction, a new heart, a new life, a new behavior, a new attitude, where we're no longer living for ourselves, but now we're living for the one who's given his life for us, and now we lay our lives down for others. It's an amazing picture of fruit. Like he says, I want you to know that you're bearing fruit. Fruit is this. It's the evidence the external evidence that somebody can put their finger on and point to the external evidence of the inward change that God's done in your life. Come on, is there anybody in the room that God has changed your life by his love and his grace? It's changed us. It's fruitful. Not just fruitful, it's growing. And I think you ought to be fruitful, not just busy. We ought to be fruit. There ought to be some evidence that we are following God and that He's working in our life. And you're growing. Like you are, you can grow in this thing. And, and you're probably not growing as fast as you want to. I remember in junior high, I just wanted to grow so badly because I was a basketball player. And I'm like, come on, just grow, grow, grow. Anybody ever do the whole uh, Brady Bunch thing where, where you try to hang on the monkey bars to stretch yourself to grow? Okay, I'm the only one. Thank you. That was awkward. I was trying to relate a little bit, but... So desperate to grow, like I wanted to grow so badly. Well, I'm telling you, growth comes from God. In verse 9, he goes on, For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. Have you ever had somebody say, I'm praying for you, and you weren't sure if they were? I'm pray hey, I'm praying for you. Really? We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will. Say knowledge. knowledge. Through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, so that, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work and growing in the knowledge of God. Growing in the knowledge of God. The knowledge of God. Of God. Turn and tell two people, it's not what you know, it's who you know. Come on, tell the other person you decided to ignore, it's not what you know, it's who you know. Let's pray. Father, we love you so much. We thank you for your word. It was written 2,000 years ago, but it's like reading the morning paper. It's relevant to our situation today. Pray that you'd speak to us over this series. We dedicate our lives to you, and we pray that you'd open up our hearts so that we can live a life worthy of the calling of God on our lives as well. We are forever changed by your love. In Jesus' name, somebody say a good amen. Amen. If you're like me, you remember your first job. Most people can remember their first job. For me, I worked at the Dunsmuir House and Gardens in sixth grade. I've been working since I was sixth grade. And um, it was a job that uh, somebody in my class, they got me, and it's right below the Oakland Zoo. So it sounds cool, the Dunsmuir House and Gardens. It, it was like picking up horse poop. That was my job. 1,800-pound Clydesdale horses, 
and we pick up the, the, the horse pucky, clean out the stables, which was gross. And then one day, like, I'm, I'm like brushing the hair of this horse. And you can picture a sixth grader, right? I'm short, and the horse is, ha- and, and the tail keeps trying to go up, like the, the horse lifting up the tail. I'm like, stop it. Stop it. I'm brushing, and he lifts it up again. I'm like, would you just stop it? Like, smack the horse. He lifts it up again, and all of a sudden, there was a noise. It, it kind of sounded like this. And it was then made apparent what he was trying to lift his tail up for. I mean, all in my face. I quit. I said, I, I cannot work like this. I got another job at Elite Tree Service. This is the hardest job I've ever had. Seventh, eighth grade, summers. This is a tree service company in Oakland. And we got this job because of my Sunday school teacher owned it. And he went to my dad's church. Great guy, great family. And so here we are working in the hot summer months, and I get poison ivy, but you have to still wear full-on sweaters in the summer, and I'm sweating, but that's spreading the ivy, and man, it was a hard job. Then I moved on to Reed Brothers Security in Oakland. That was where my brother worked. My brother had a job there. He got me a job, and, and it wasn't security guards. It was like we sold, we sold car alarms. We sold house alarms. We are a locksmith. Oh, come on. I was a locksmith in ninth grade. Uh, we sold... We sold cell phones, safes, and pagers. Come on, somebody. How many remember the pager? Like a garage door opener on your hip. I love walking around town like with my pager in ninth grade. It would go off like the beeper would go off, and I'd be like, I wanted people to see, who's paging me? Who's paging? It's your mom. You know, it's just calm down. Or you could send little text messages like hello upside down with the letters. Number four, three, seven, seven, zero. You would upside down spell hello. Or send little messages. One, four, three. That means I love you. One, four, three, Diana. I got that because my brother. Then I moved to Sacramento. We moved to Sacramento. My cousin, he knew the owner of Laboo, which was a, it's like a coffee shop slash deli and and a sandwich sandwich shop. So we go in there. Never forget it. He's, He's trying to get me a job. So we go in there, and he talks to the boss, and the boss comes out immediately. He says, this is my cousin, Sean. He, you know, he'd, li- he'd like to maybe get a job here. She immediately turns to me with the biggest eyes I've ever seen and a smile, and she starts to talk to me. She refuses to break eye contact, so neither do I. <laughs> we then enter into a very awkward staring contest for five minutes as I, as I talk to her back and forth. And at the end of that five-minute conversation, she says, you have the job. I said, I do. She said, you do. You don't know why? I said, why? She said, because you never broke eye contact. You need a job? Practice staring. (laughs) I got that job. I wouldn't have got the job had it not been for my cousin. As a matter of fact, all of those jobs were a result of me knowing the right person. It's not what you know. It's who you know. Paul is writing this book, the book of Colossians in 60 AD, and he's writing it to the people of Colossae. Paul was a guy who hated Christians. He was throwing Christians in jail, and then he had an encounter with Jesus in Acts chapter 9, and his world would forever change. He would go on to write like one-third of your New Testament, and and he's writing to the people of Colossae, 
They would be known as the Colossians. And I think we have a map of this. This is actually where it is. Now, this is where it is. You see Antioch up there? Show them Antioch. This is Antioch. If you go down to the left, there's Pittsburgh and Walnut Creek. If you go down to the left, you see Colossae. Do you see it? Now, in context, this is, this is modern-day Turkey. Let's show them the other map. Now, this is, a, this is where it is in relation to, like, Italy. See the boot of Italy to the left there? So this is where, this is where Paul was writing a letter to. He hadn't been there, but these were spiritual sons and daughters. And he's writing to them. Here's the purpose. He's trying to correct some error. And he's trying to let them know, guys, everything we need is found in Jesus. So he's correcting a little error. He's telling guys, everything we need is in God. Now, this is known as one of the prison letters. Paul wrote a few letters from prison. Like, he's in prison, but he wasn't in prison for, like, tax evasion or auto theft or, you know, back then it would have been chariot theft. He wasn't in there for any of that. You have to understand, he's in jail for preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why he's there. He's in jail several times. And other prisons, like the Mamertine prison, that when he wrote 2 Timothy, that was a horrible prison. This one's more like house arrest. So he's got a guard there 24 hours a day. I don't know if he was chained to him or if he just kind of stood there with him. But he's there, has a guard 24 hours a day, which Paul, being the opportunist that he is, he's like, this is cool. Because he led so many people of Caesar's household and so many guards to the Lord. Like in Philippians 4, he's like, hey, tell everybody, all the guards, I said, what's up? You know, he's he knows him. He's, he's looking at this as an awesome situation. He's, he's like, man, this is great because I have a captive audience. They ain't going nowhere. Let me tell you about Jesus. You know, that's, he had that moment with them. So what's going on in context, like in society, much like today, there was a lot of religious ideas that were competing with one another. So they're competing with each other, these philosophies of the world and back and forth and back and forth, which led to a lot of unrest in society. And it's really an indicator that they've lost their bearings and they're not sure what to believe in. Sounds like the Bay Area. Sounds like America. There are so many believers in this context that were trying to combine like the secular philosophy with Bible doctrines. They're trying to combine the two. And Gnosticism was on the rise where they they believe all matter was evil. So they had a hard time believing that Jesus could be good and, and holy because he's now matter he's now a human and and Gnosticism is on the rise so they they really elevated knowledge they love to learn stuff but how many know you can learn stuff but that doesn't mean you know stuff they they know a lot about God and Paul comes along and says guys it's not about what you know it's about who you know Jesus is all we need how many know that you can know a lot about someone and not know them? Like you can know a lot about LeBron James. You can know, you can follow him on Instagram. You can know his shoe size, how tall he is, his weight, his statistics. You can know a lot about him. Like you can know that he's going to lose the championship to the Warriors. You can know all that. You can know all that, but you still don't know him. Paul is trying to get them to say, listen, don't elevate knowledge. You need to really know God for yourself. And in verse 9, he says, I'm praying that you wouldn't just pride yourselves on knowledge. That's why he uses the word knowledge a few times. I'm praying that you have the knowledge of God's will in your life. How many would like to know what God has for you? I want that for you too. I want you to be filled with the knowledge of God's will. I want you to live a life that's worthy of the Lord, 
bearing fruit and growing in the knowledge of God, which, by the way, then gives us direction for life. How many are glad that we can still grow? No matter where you are, you can still grow. Now, that puppy I talked to you about, uh, I bought that puppy three years ago. The puppy was just a small puppy. I have a picture. Take a look. This is our puppy when we first got him. Brought him home to the girls. Oh, they loved him. They loved him. They loved him. He was just a tiny little puppy. He thinks he's a pit bull. Now, when I looked at this puppy, I couldn't say, I couldn't force it to grow. I couldn't demand it to grow. But I could create an environment where it grew. We can't command any of you to grow. But what we do is create such a life-giving environment where you can grow. It's really up to you. How hungry are you? I can't force anybody to eat. We're not going to force anybody to live according to God's will, but we will make the path extremely clear. Turn and tell somebody I'm still growing. (laughs) Write this down, that God rescues us out of and takes us into. God rescues us out of and takes us into. Verse 13 and 14 says this, For He has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness. Say darkness. And then watch this. He transferred us into the kingdom of His dear Son, who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. This is huge. Jesus did not just come to point out our sin. He came to rescue us out of our sin. Are you awake this morning? God wants to do something so amazing in your life. Say out of. of. Say into. Into. Say out of. of. Say into. Into. God's not satisfied with just taking you out of. Whenever God takes you out of something, he also wants to take you into something else. God's not fulfilled just because he took you out of your past. He wants to take you into your destiny. It's not just healing from your yesterday. It's hope for your tomorrow. A lot of people, here's the problem, a lot of people get so excited because they come out of, but they'll never be fulfilled and satisfied until they go into. And God said, I'm transferring you, I'm taking you out of the kingdom of darkness. Now, when God transfers you, when you cross over, there are some things you cannot take with you. We don't take darkness with us. God wants to move in your life in such a way. That's why he told him, I want you to be filled with the knowledge of God's will so you can live a life that's worthy of the Lord's calling on your life. I want you to bear fruit. I want you to grow. Here's the problem. Many of you have stepped out of your pain, but you've not stepped into your purpose. It's, it's, feel, it's like, I'm so excited. I came out of But you're in the middle and you're miserable. God's heart is not just to take you out of. It's to take you into something. And and this is important for you to understand that fulfillment does not come by staying in the middle. It comes by walking and living in the middle of God's will. It doesn't come by just just living somewhere in the mushy middle. It's living in God's will. And here's, here's the idea. That many of us come out of something, but then we don't go into what God has for us. We're in the middle and we're miserable. Like, following Jesus is easy. Some people are like, it's so hard. It's easy. Half-stepping is hard. That's where it gets difficult. Where you know too much about God to really enjoy sin, but you're too into sin to really enjoy God. Where you're walking in this mushy middle, like, I want to come out of, but I'm stuck. I want to follow God, 
but I'm stuck. I feel like there's more for me, and I'm glad I'm not where I used to be, but I haven't stepped into my destiny yet, and I feel like I'm stuck. I'm telling you, ladies and gentlemen, God did not, he did not send his son Jesus Christ so that you can just be stuck in the middle. He came to give you a life, and it's abundant life. Come on, if you believe that, clap your hands and say a good amen. The middle is not for me. It's not for you. Turn and tell somebody the middle's not for me. The good news is that you don't have to stay there. He rescues us. He redeems us. He forgives us. And because of this, it's only right then that we next put Jesus first. It's only right after all that he's done that we put him first. Paul goes on to tell these people in Colossae, verse 17, Jesus existed before anything else. He holds all creation together. Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. Jesus is the head. The church is his body. He is the beginning. Supreme. It's not like he was just there in the beginning. He is the beginning. Like everything started with him. Supreme over all those who rise from the dead. He was the first one to do that. And all of us looking to go to heaven one day, we can look to him and say, because he did that, we can live too in him. Read this last sentence out loud with me, everybody together. So he is first in everything. One more time. So he is first in everything. One of your, your translations says he's supreme or he has supremacy. It simply means he's first. He's first. Now we understand what first means. I have my little nephew, Josiah. He's seven. He just turned seven this last week. Cutest little guy. And uh, we were invited to his baseball game. And if you've ever seen seven-year-olds play baseball, it's the best. So here they are. He's getting up there. He's got his little uniform on. Where I have, like, the nostalgia of the smell of the field of when I was a superstar in third grade, when my batting average was zero, zero, zero. No joke. I was rough. That's why I played basketball. But I'm watching him taking a little video, like, Josiah, you're the man. He gets up to hit. He hits a ball, runs the first base, runs the second. We're watching all this. It's so fun. He caught one, and, and then I had to leave early. Now, he's in a league where they don't keep score. I'm not sure what's happening in America when we no longer keep score. Like, whose idea was that? Everybody's the winner. No, they're not. There are clear winners and there are clear losers. There is first place and then the first loser. Second place. But they don't keep score. It's like, hey, great job, great job, it's gonna be great. When I left, it was, it was they, they, nobody had scored. I saw him on his birthday the next day. He said, Theo Sean, that's Spanish for Uncle Sean. Uncle Sean, he said, he said, guess what? I said, what? He said, we won yesterday. It was one to zero, and I was like, yeah, you did. Somebody's keeping score. (laughs) The refs might not be keeping score. I promise you, the parents and the kids are keeping score. (laughs) Let me say it another way. Have you ever been first in line and then had somebody try to cut in front of you? Oh, this will test your salvation. (laughs) We were in in Disneyland last year. And we are Star Tours. It's like a 40-minute wait, everybody. 40-minute wait. That's a long time to wait in the sun. So we're waiting there. And with my family, my wife, my four girls, 
And these two girls, teenagers, start, like, trying to cut us from the left side. You don't have to try to be smooth, like, sit and talk. And the line starts to move. They walk a little further in front of you, trying to act like they don't see a brother. So, you know, you kind of question it at first, like, are they, are they, are they cutting? <laughs> trying to be nice because it's the happiest place on earth. <laughs> trying to be cool. I'm like, I'm not going to make a scene. I'm not going to make a scene. And, and then a few minutes later, they start to call their friends, like to have a whole group come and join them in line. That's when Diana was like, oh, heck no. <laughs> not today. She walks over to these girls. She's like, look, I know exactly what you guys did. You just cut us. You are not going to do that. I know this is the happiest place on earth, but listen, I will make it the meanest place on earth if you don't turn around and walk your butt to the back of the line. She didn't say it quite like that. Not today. So these girls humble themselves in the presence of Diana turn and let us walk by. And it was, a, it was like a yeah moment. Uh, uh, until they opened up another line and, and then they got to pass us and go on the ride before us, which was very awkward because I could see the smirk on their face like, mm, whatever. <laughs> Jocelyn, who's over our youth group, uh, they do a great job here on Wednesday nights at 6.45. Bring your junior high and high school students every Wednesday, but she was at a concert. She was telling me this week, she was like, we were waiting for like three hours in line. It's a long time. In the sun. And two other girls, I might have been the same too, two other girls <laughs> cut in front of them. And Jocelyn asks him, she's like, did you girls just cut? And they tell him, yeah. And she's like, you need to get back to the back of the line. They don't move. She starts chanting, back of the line. Back. Every, all the crowds now chanting, back of the line. Back of the line. These girls come and they have to get out, go back to the line. They start cheering. Jocelyn becomes like a hero. They have t-shirts with her picture on it now. Okay, listen. What in your life is trying to cut God? What is it? After everything Jesus has done for us, after his grace, after his mercy, after we failed time and time again and he still loved us, after his hope, his mercy, his forgiveness, his healing, he deserves to be first. He's not okay with just being on a list somewhere. He's first. He's not okay with being tied for first. He deserves to be first. And let me tell you, ladies and gentlemen, for everything else in our life that tries to cut and take God's place, we ought to learn to be able to say, no, 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 not today, back of the line. Come on, how many believe that Jesus Christ needs to be first? Come on, somebody shout, he's first. He deserves it. He's God. In everything, he has preeminence. And let me explain the severity of this. Let me give you perspective on this. This is what he's done for us. Colossians 1.21. This includes you who were once far away from God. Like we come to church. We love God. But can we just be really honest? We haven't always been here. Like we all have a past. We all have something God's forgiven us from. 
He says, let me, just, let me just gently remind you, not for condemnation's sake, but per, for perspective's sake. Let me remind you, this includes you who were once far away from God. You were enemies separated from Him by your evil thoughts and actions. Yet now He has reconciled you to Himself through the death of Christ in His physical body. Like Jesus died for us so that this can happen. As a result, He has brought you into His own presence. And now you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. We are guilty but blameless in the sight of God. God God allows us to be forgiven, so now he looks at us as if all we've done is righteous deeds, and he says this, if you continue in your faith, established and firm in him, and do not move from the hope that's held out in the gospel. Can I tell you, everybody? Come on, how many are grateful for that? Jesus didn't come to make bad people good. One man said he came to bring dead people to life. Like Ephesians 5 says it this way. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. This is spiritually speaking. But because of his great love for us, God, who was rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in our transgressions, transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. He brings us to life. He redeems us, verse 14 says. So what does redemption mean? What does redeem mean? It means he buys you back. To illustrate this, there's a story written several years ago about a little boy who wanted to build a toy boat. He builds his boat out of wood. He carves it. He paints it. I mean, it takes him weeks and weeks and weeks. Every day after school, he's working on the boat. He finally paints it, carves his initials in there, and then he takes it out to the water. And he has this, this string that's attached to the toy boat, and he's running along the bank with the, with the string having a great time. But the winds picked up and took the string out of his hand, and the boat sailed away, and he lost his boat. He cried and cried and cried. And a couple weeks later after school one day, he was walking home, and he noticed in a shop that there was a window in the pawn shop, and he had his boat there. He ran in. He grabbed the boat. He was like, this is my boat. And the store owner said, well, no, 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 son, that's not your boat. He says, no, it is. It has my initials in it. I'll show you. I made this boat. He said, no, no, no. You have to buy this boat. So the little kid left, and for the next several weeks, he was mowing lawns. He was slanging lemonade, everything he can possibly think of to raise some money to the point where he came back, put all his chains on top of that counter, and he says, mister, I'm ready to buy the boat now. Mr. counted the money, turned around, and this guy gave him the boat, and as he walked out, he clutched that boat real tight and said, little boat, you are twice mine because I first made you, but you got lost, and I bought you back. Can I tell you, ladies and gentlemen, Jesus Christ made us, but we were lost by sin. But because of the love of God, he came to earth to purchase our freedom and to buy us back. We are twice his. Come on, clap your hands and say a good amen if you believe that today. He redeems you. He deserves to be first. It's not what you know, it's who you know. Jesus deserves to be first place, which leads to when he's first, God gives you purpose. God gives you purpose. You know, most of the world has no idea what their purpose in life is. They're not sure. And and really, I want to help them with that. I want to help you with that. Verse 24 goes on to say, now I rejoice in what I'm suffering for you. I rejoice in what I'm suffering for you for the sake of his body. What's the body? Which is his church. Interestingly enough, um, he suffered in prison 
for the church. When was the last time we suffered so somebody else could hear about the love of Jesus? When was the last time we were inconvenienced so somebody else can hear? Here's Paul. He's in prison so that others can hear. If you're a member of our church, we're going to ask you to do a few things. Number one, we're going to ask you to go through the growth track, get on the dream team, get in a small group, serve. We're going to ask you to do that. Here's another thing we're going to probably ask of you. And that's anybody that goes to like any service between 9 and 12 o'clock, that's prime time. We're probably going to ask you at some point to go to another service to make room for guests because that's usually when guests come. And those services are packed out. What I'm asking you, some of you, is to sleep in for Jesus. We like to go to church when we want to go to church. But when's the last time we thought, what could I do that would inconvenience me that would result in other people hearing about the love of God? Maybe it's given to missions. Maybe it's church planning with the ark. Maybe we, maybe we plant another church and it's a sacrifice. Maybe we go to another service. I'm telling you, ladies and gentlemen, I love our dream team. You're absolutely amazing. But if we're not careful, we just kind of approach church and we serve on a Sunday like, man, we do this all the, every rotation. It's the same. I'm a little tired today. I'm not sure if I want to go today. And we forget that every Sunday is somebody's first Sunday. Matter of fact, this last Wednesday night, we had first Wednesday last week, and man, it was incredible. Packed out, and we had so much fun. So much, worship was great, had communion, and a guy came up to me afterwards and said, listen, I came here four months ago. My marriage was over. We were divorcing, but Jesus, through this church, saved our marriage. We're better than we've ever been. Our whole family got baptized a couple weeks ago. Come on. And then he said this, I brought a friend last Sunday who wanted to commit suicide. He gave his life to Jesus, and he came on first Wednesday too. Can I tell you, ladies and gentlemen, every single one of us coming to church on a Sunday, you may think this is just another Sunday, this is just another small group, this is just another dream team rotation. Let me tell you, there are lives that are hanging in the balance every single week. Thank you, dream team, for doing what you do to serve so faithfully. Come on, let's clap our hands for the dream team. You make all this happen. Great job. Let's go make some more stories together. It's amazing to me what God has done. Verse 25, he says, I have become its servant. Whose servant? It's the church. I, 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 I'm not here for the church to serve me. I'm here to serve the church. I'm here to serve people. Purpose. It's about purpose, ladies and gentlemen. Like, you'll never... Your life will never make sense until you're making a difference in somebody else's life. Some people are like, I left my last church. I wasn't getting fed. I think you should get fed, but if you only ate once a week, you'd starve too. <laughs> like, let's, let's feed ourselves the Word of God. Let's be self-feeders, self-motivators. Let's be sustaining of ourselves with God. But when we come to church, man, let's find somebody else who's down. Look for the most depressed people you can find. Give them your number. Give them a, a coffee card. Invite them to, to lunch. I mean, let's, what if we approach the body of Christ that way? I'm not coming to church for me. Sundays are not for me. It's for those who aren't here yet. Paul said, I have become its servant. I'm willing to serve. And then we have verse 28, which has really become a theme verse for our church. Colossians 1.28, he says, him we preach. Some of your versions say proclaim. We proclaim Jesus. Warning every man 
and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. There's four things there. This is really four parts of the Great Commission. But the first one is we proclaim Him or we preach Him. Well, what is that? Where do we do that the most? Sundays. That's Sundays. That's, that's where we do this the most. This is where we want people to know God. Can I tell you, 95% of the people who give their life to Jesus do so on a Sunday at a church. 95%. So what that means is Sundays can't be for us only. It has to be for those who aren't here yet. How selfish of me to make a church that I want to go to and, 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 and do everything I want to do when there are lost people who don't know God yet that wouldn't come back if we had a three-hour service. Are you following me? I'm willing to lay down my preferences of a longer... Man, I would sing songs for an hour if it was up to me. But Sundays aren't just about me. Well, you say, it's about God. It's about His presence. Yeah, but when I lost my daughter at a theme park, my whole focus turned to the lost one. I did not go around and say, girls, to the other three, let's just ride some more roller coasters. Woo! Let's enjoy our time here. My focus was on the lost one. And for us to say it's all about his presence. Yes, it is about his presence. But God, as soon as we say his presence, he turned around and say, hey, feed my sheep, love my sheep, tend my lambs. Turn the focus back on people. When we get to heaven, God's not going to be like, hey, did you enjoy my presence in the church? So good. It was just, oh. Here's why this is important, because heaven and hell are realities. And as long as those two things are realities, Sunday mornings and Sunday church, Sunday night, the weekend services will be about God and helping us to reach people. Can I hear a good amen, everybody? We want you to know God. Secondly, he says this, warn every man. Where do you do that? We do that through small groups. We do that through small groups. Here's why. Because you can't warn somebody, you can't correct somebody that you don't have a relationship with. Let me prove it to you. Have you ever had somebody come to you that doesn't know you try to tell you about yourself? How did you respond? Why, thank you, kind sir, at Safeway. I didn't know you, but didn't even know that I had a blind spot there. Thank you so much for bringing that to my attention. No, you're like, man, get up off of me. I don't know you. <laughs> but if, if somebody you love speaks into your life, you receive it. Why? Because you know they love you. You have a relationship with them. I can't take a rebuke from you unless I know you love me. So we've got to have relationship. Our pastor says it this way, that all of us have issues. How many believe you have issues? Come on, if you don't think you have an issue, that is your issue. <laughs> I dreamt of a church where we can just be real with our issues. But we get in small groups, and that's where we work these issues out. If that's where the warning happens. That's where all of this good stuff happens. You want forgiveness? Confess to God. 1 John 1, 9, he says he'll forgive it and cleanse it. You want healing? James 5.16 says, confess your faults to each other, pray for each other, and you will be healed. There's a lot of people who love God but are not healed because they don't do relationship with anybody else. It's just Jesus, just Jesus. And you're decapitating him and forgetting that the church is his body. This is deep, everybody, isn't it? So we do small groups. As a matter of fact, today at 1.15, just about a half hour from now, you can lead a small group. You can go there for information, and you can sign this up or just show up in the family worship room. We want to train you on how to be small group leaders for the next season, which starts up in June for six weeks. 
And small groups can gather for any purpose. It's like basketball, worship, Bible study, scrapbook, dog walking. You're already grouping. Your life is your group. What do you like to do? I like to play video games. Group. I like to read the Bible. Group. I like to play basketball. Group. Like, what would happen, though, if we began to do that together with a few other people that were going the same way as us and build a relationship with us so that we can have healing? Is this helping, yes or no? Number three, we want to teach every man. Well, what do we teach him? How do we teach him? That's our growth track. Growth track is not a discipleship program. Small groups are. And let me, let me this, is, this is important for us to say, um, to understand that we don't want people just to teach another class. Like there's a lot of churches growing up where they would teach classes that would lead to nothing. The growth track is, is an assimilation plan to help kind of get you in moving in the right direction, discover your gifts, get you serving in somewhere so that you can come alive. That's where you discover purpose. Know God, find freedom, discover purpose. And number four, write this down. This is where we want you to be perfect. You're like, Sean, you had me until you said perfect. I can't do that. But that's not, the, the word perfect doesn't mean without flaw. It means connected to your grace gift. It means mature. Paul is saying, we want to preach Christ. We want people to know God. We want to warn them. We want them to find freedom. We want to teach them. We want them to discover purpose so that they can do the ultimate thing in life, and that is make a difference. You join our dream team, you'll know what that feels like. Serving somewhere in your gifts, not in a voluntary role where you're just kind of drudging through it all, but based on how God wired you, you make a difference for eternity. Say this with me. Know God. Find freedom. Discover purpose. Make a difference. That's all we do at our church. That's all we do. Know God, find freedom, discover purpose, make a difference. So here's the question. Where are you in the process? And could you move one step? If you don't know God, I'd, love, I'd like to introduce you to him today and give you a chance to pray a commitment prayer in just a moment. Maybe you're here and you know him, but you're not, you're not a part of a local church body. You're like, I love Jesus. I'm pro-Jesus. But you haven't joined a church yet? Go through our growth track tonight at 515. If you, haven't, if you haven't taken a step for a small group or wherever the step is, we don't tell people like, hey, you better take 20 steps by next Sunday. No, we're not about that. Just move one step. What's the, what's the next step? Verse 25, he says, I've given myself to serve the church. And in verse 20, 29, he reiterates, he says, that's why I work and that's why I struggle so hard. It's work, everybody. It's struggle. Why? Because you're working with people, broken people, hurting people. And he says, but I depend on Christ's mighty power that's working in me. We can't do this by ourselves. He, he said he finds purpose in helping other people find theirs. You want to be successful? Make other people successful. Don't just focus on your own success. That's when you feel like, man, I, I'm here. I brought somebody else. I saw them. No God, find freedom, discover purpose, make a difference. I, I help him with that. That's when you come alive. It's not when you just know about God. It's when you know him. Know his will. Know God. It's not about what you know. It's about who you know. Ladies and gentlemen, that's chapter one. It's going to be a great series. With your heads bowed all over the room, I want to give you that opportunity I told you about. Maybe you're here and you say, Sean, my life isn't right with God. And I've never given the controls of my life to him. Or maybe you were once close to God, but you've drifted away. 
You kind of felt like the winds of life took the string out of your hands. And you're not where you should be. Maybe you're religious, but you're empty. You look the part on the outside. You know about God, but you don't know him. I want to lead you in a commitment prayer that you can pray right in your seat. I'm not going to have you stand or come to the front. Our heart's not to embarrass you. It's to connect you to Jesus. So trust us with this. But if this is you, say, Sean, count me in that prayer. On the count of three, would you raise your hand and just keep it up and say, count me in. Come on. One, two, three. Lift it up and leave it up. This is me. Yes, 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 yes. Yes, 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 yes. Yes, 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 yes. Come on, let's clap our hands for these hands. Yes, 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 yes. Man, there's so many hands. Come on, let's really clap our hands. Because every hand represents a soul that God loves passionately. I want to lead you in this prayer. Would you just pray this out with me here in the family worship room as well? Just say, Lord Jesus, thank you for loving me right where I am. Today I give my life to you. And I ask you to forgive me from all of my sin as I turn to you. Wash me clean. Be my Lord and Savior. And just kind of put your hand on your heart for a second if you don't mind doing that. Just say, God, use all of my gifts now to reach other people with your love. In Jesus' name. Somebody say good amen. amen. Come on, let's clap our hands one more time. For everybody who prayed that prayer, so proud of you, all of you.